Second Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. And David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. David and his people are still inside Jerusalem. They left the palace, but they went up to the Mount of Olives. They're actually still in the city of David. 2. And David sent forth the people, a third part under the hand of Joab, that's his top fighter, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. He has his three top fighters, Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, in charge of each of them one-third of his army, and he wants to fight ahead of them in the battle. They know that they're going to have to fight against whoever Absalom musters behind himself. 3. But the people said, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die will they care for us, but thou art worth ten thousand of us. Therefore now it is better that thou be ready to succor us out of the city. Winning a battle is all about capturing the king, and his people are telling him, we don't want any chance of you getting captured. We're going to fight without you. Just hold the gate while we all leave the city, is what they just told him. 4. And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best I will do? And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Cities always have some sort of fortification, whether it's a gate or a wall. And that's why every time we read about a city, we're reading about its gate or its wall. And once a city is closed, there's only secret entrances that you can get in. You can't get in the main entrance where everybody knows what that is because it's sealed. But they'll always have a secret entrance for emergency purposes so that people who they trust can get in. And that was why... A book or so back when we were reading, the Israelites had asked where the secret entrance was to a certain city because they couldn't go in the front gate. 5. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. Everybody who is on David's side knows that he doesn't want Absalom killed or maimed or anything like that. He wants Absalom to be in good shape when this is all over. 6. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the forest of Ephraim. David probably plans on forgiving Absalom and maybe exiling him or something like that and allowing him to still have a good life. But whatever he's going to do, he definitely doesn't want to kill Absalom. He doesn't want revenge. He just wants to take the kingdom back if it's God's will. The battle is going to be taking place in a forest. 7. And the people of Israel were smitten there before the servants of David. And there was a great slaughter there that day of 20,000 men. Which means that David's side killed 20,000 of the other Israelites. Which would probably include Benjamites, and I'm not sure what other tribes. And those were 20,000 men who were fighting for Absalom. They died. 8. For the battle was there spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Which means a lot of these warriors, maybe they got lost, maybe they were attacked by animals, maybe they fell into pits, but a lot of them died because of the treacherous terrain, even more than those that were killed by David's side, which means God is definitely in the battle. God is using the terrain to help David win. 9. And Absalom chanced to meet the servants of David, which means he just so happened to run into some of David's men. 
and Absalom was riding upon his mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth, and his head caught hold of the terebinth, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went on. It just means that he was taken up above ground, because his head was caught in the boughs of this great tree. He was riding under it with a mule, And it's interesting because kings always ride on donkeys, but he was riding on a mule. Donkeys are made by God. They're natural animals, but mules are man-made. It's when you mate a donkey with a horse, you get a mule. And God's law forbids that you mate two animals that aren't of the same kind. Donkeys and horses are not of the same kind. They're not supposed to be mated. So it's actually a sin to create a mule, even though lots of people do it. So here he is riding on a mule, acting like a mule, and going totally against God's will, except that God was using him to discipline David. We had read about how his hair was so gorgeous and thick, and he could grow five pounds of hair a year. Well, evidently, it wasn't time for his haircut yet, and so all this gorgeous, curly, thick hair got stuck in the boughs of the tree, and then the mule left him behind and kept walking. So he's hanging from a tree by his hair. He isn't dead, but he's hanging alive. Which is interesting because he's hanging by his own vanity. And that was what got him to try to usurp his father's throne was his own vanity. And this is what caused Satan, when he was Lucifer, to try to usurp the throne of Jesus Christ in heaven. It was because of Lucifer's vanity. There are a lot of parallels here between Lucifer falling and Absalom falling. 10. And a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth. 11. And Joab said unto the man that told him, And behold, thou sawest it, and why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? Joab knows that King David doesn't want Absalom killed or hurt, yet he still expected another Israelite to kill Absalom, and he's disappointed that the other Israelite didn't. So Joab doesn't have a lot of faith. He thinks that they really have to kill Absalom for his father to take the kingdom back. And Joab says, And I would have had to give thee ten pieces of silver and a girdle. Joab says that he would have paid the man for killing Absalom. 12. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand pieces of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. This man is saying the truth. He would never harm Absalom because King David told everybody not to. 13. Otherwise, if I had dealt falsely against mine own life, and there is no matter hid from the king, then thou thyself wouldst have stood aloof. And the man is further saying to Joab, If I had killed Absalom, and then David wanted to kill me, you wouldn't defend me. You would just be quiet and pretend that you had nothing to do with it. He's calling Joab on his own lie because Joab is pretending that he would reward the man, and the man is saying, no, the truth is that you wouldn't even admit to David that you wanted me to kill him if I killed Absalom. Absalom is the son of King David, and Lucifer, in a sense, was a son of God, because all the angels and all the people are children of God, because God created us in his image. But there's only one begotten son, There's a difference between being a child of God, being a son of God, and being the one and only begotten son. So Jesus is the one and only begotten son. There is no other. 
No one can equal Jesus. He is God. He's one with God. And he is the only begotten son of God. Mormons believe that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers and that all the people are on the same level with Jesus and that we're all simply sons of God. This is absolutely false. We're not on the same level with Jesus and we never will be because he is God. We'll talk more about it in the New Testament, but Jesus proclaimed to be the only begotten Son of God multiple times in the New Testament. The Bible also says that he's the Son of God in both the Old and the New Testament, and it means the only begotten. He's one with God, just as the right hand of a man is his begotten Son. The reason Jesus is called begotten is because he came to earth in the form of a baby who was born from a woman. But Mary is not the mother of God, like the Catholics claim. She can't be the mother of God because she didn't exist when God existed. She didn't exist when Jesus existed. Jesus created the world, and so he doesn't have a mother. Even though he manifested on earth as a baby that came out of her body, she was not here before he was. So there is no mother of God at all, period. You and I are children of God but only because we're all created by him in his image. That's the only thing that makes us his children. Jesus is God, and that's why he died on the cross. They crucified him specifically because he claimed to be God. If he had not claimed to be God, he would have never been crucified. That was his so-called crime, was claiming to be God. By saying that he was God's son, he was saying that he was God, and they all understood that. The Catholics are wrong when they say that God has a mother, and the Mormons are wrong when they say that Lucifer and Jesus were brothers, and that all of us are on the same level as Jesus. That's totally wrong. 14. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom, while he was yet alive in the midst of the terebinth. Joab told the man, I don't have time to talk to you anymore. 15. And ten young men that bore Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. He stabbed Abner, but then the ten men that were following Joab that were carrying his armor, they went ahead and joined in and they finished Abner off. 16. And Joab blew the horn and the people returned from pursuing after Israel, for Joab held back the people. Joab blew the horn to tell the people to stop fighting. 17. And they took Absalom and cast him into the great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones, and all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. They've buried Absalom's body under stones. Once everybody saw that basically the battle was over because Absalom was dead, they all ran. And I think they ran because they knew King David was going to be very, very angry once he learns that his son is dead. This was a big mistake on Joab's part. But the Lord allowed it probably because the Lord was done with Absalom and his arrogance. 18. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar, which is in the king's dale. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And it is called Absalom's monument unto this day. This pillar still exists in Israel and you can actually go and see it. 19. Then said Ahimaz, the son of Zadok, Let me now run and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And that also is a big mistake, because David is not going to be happy with whoever tells him that Absalom is dead, just as he wasn't happy with a man who told him that Saul and Jonathan were dead. 
20 And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not be the bearer of tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, forasmuch as the king's son is dead. 21 Then said Joab to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what thou hast seen. And the Cushite bowed down unto Joab and ran. Joab is smart in telling Ahimaaz not to bring the news to David because David would kill Ahimaaz most likely for bringing him such awful news. So instead, Joab has a slave go run and tell David because David will see this slave as being innocent. This slave happens to be a Cushite, which means it's a black person from Africa, from Ethiopia. There's a long history of Ethiopians being friendly with Israelites, and during King Solomon's time, they'll get a lot more friendly. We'll read about that later. This is a slave or servant, but because he's a servant, he'll be seen as totally innocent, because he had nothing to do with Absalom's death. 22 Then said Ahimaaz the son of Zadok yet again to Joab, But come what may, let me, I pray thee, also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Wherefore wilt thou run, my son, seeing that thou wilt have no reward for the tidings? Ahimez is being really pig-headed. He thinks that King David is going to love this news. And Joab is saying, You won't get a reward if you tell David this. 23 But come what may, said he, I will run. And he said unto him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and overran the Cushite. So Ahimaaz got in front of the servant. 24. Now David sat between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate unto the wall, and lifted up his eyes, and looked, and behold, a man running alone. Usually if somebody's running alone, it's definitely news of the battle. It could either be that you won or you lost. 25. And the watchman cried and told the king, and the king said, If he be alone, there is tidings in his mouth. And he came apace and drew near. David approached the runner, who is Ahimaaz. 26. And the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called unto the porter, and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also bringeth tidings. If I were David, I would think that something happened after the first man left, so that there would be more news from the second man beyond what the first man says. 27. And the watchman said, I think the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man, and cometh with good tidings. David believes that Ahimaaz will have a good word, but he never imagines that Ahimaaz is going to say that Absalom is dead. That's not what David wants to hear. He only wants to hear that Absalom lost the battle. Notice how he's known by the way he runs, and that's because a lot of these warriors were runners. Israel wasn't known for having horses and chariots. Sometimes they took horses and chariots in their battles, but they weren't known for having them on their own. 28 And Ahimaaz called and said unto the king, All is well. And he bowed down before the king with his face to the earth, and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, who hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king, meaning that David's enemies are dead. 29 And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And Ahimaaz answered, David wants to know specifically, Is Absalom dead or is he alive? Because you just told me that my enemies are dead. When Joab sent the king's servant and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. At this point, Ahimaaz is lying. Now he understands that if he says that Absalom is dead, he's going to be in really big trouble. So the light bulb finally has come on in his head, and he isn't going to tell David everything that he knows. 
He's going to let the Cushite say the rest of it. 13, and the king said, turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still, which means David wants him to hear what the Cushite says so that the Cushite will bear witness, you know, between Ahimaaz and David. 31, and behold, the Cushite came and the Cushite said, tidings for my lord, the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. The Cushite is telling him that the Lord has gotten vengeance against Absalom and all of the other enemies of David. 32, and the king said unto the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, the enemies of my lord, the king, and all that rise up against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. Meaning that Absalom is dead, because he's saying, may whoever comes against you get killed. And now David has heard the worst news that he could have possibly heard, except that he does have the kingdom back. And that concludes Second Samuel chapter 18.